And so just by going through my feed, I think I had seen um, uh, some comments about MMT. And then I thought, well, let me figure out what this is. And so then, you know, I, I, you know, I typed in modern monetary theory on YouTube and I started watching videos um, about what it is and, and how it works. And, and it was like a light bulb that, you know, just popped up on top of my head. And I said, oh, wow, this is exactly, you know, what I think. <laughs> and, and here it is, you know, right in front of me. And, and it's, it's being described by a professor in a classroom. Hmm. So your, your theory of abundance and your meditation came to actual reality. Correct. Welcome to Activist NMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today I talk with second-year MMT activist Ramona Masachi. Ramona is a New Jersey resident, mother of two, and an artist who creates handmade jewelry, chandeliers, and metal sculptures that light up. She designs the latter by programming it into a 3D CAD program. She's also a modern Orthodox Jew and talks about the struggles of personally having strong progressive values but being part of a community that is highly conservative. In addition to her Judaism, Ramona has practiced meditation since the age of 16. When she discovered MMT in early 2019, she describes it as academic justification for what she had always known to be true, that there is abundance in the world and it has always been possible to provide all with what is needed to prevent suffering. We end with a good faith debate about the current state of our society, electoral process, and the elite behind it all. I play the role of the dark cynic, and she a self-described extreme optimist. This is part one of a two-part conversation. In part two, Ramona and I talk about how we worked together for several months to coordinate and schedule private introductions to MMT for dozens of federal candidates with PhD economists. Note that this two-part conversation is not a discussion of MMT concepts, but rather how MMT has affected our lives and political views. You can contact me on Twitter or Facebook, and you can email me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If you're enjoying Activist MMT even a fraction as much as I enjoy creating it, and if you're safe and secure and happen to be lucky enough to have some public deficit kicking around in your pocket, I hope you might consider becoming a monthly patron of Activist MMT. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get exclusive content and updates, several days of early access to every episode, and for some, super early access, weeks and sometimes even months in advance. You can start by going to patreon.com slash activistmmt. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Whatever you can afford, I would be very grateful. Thank you. Now, on to our conversation. Hello, Ramona. How you doing? Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. It's good to hear from you. I, um, so how are, how are things with you? How's coronavirus? How's your chandeliers? How's your new marriage? 
actually, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, my name is Ramona Masachi. Um, I am 42 years old. I just moved to New Jersey. Uh, I love it here. <laughs> I basically live in the woods next to a lake. Um, I uh, moved in here with my boyfriend and we recently got married. I have two children, an 11-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. Coronavirus has been, um, been pretty isolated from it. Um, there's not many people in my area, so we're able to you know, take walks um, and do things of that sort. Just uh, going to like the grocery store is a bit of a difficulty, but um, my husband and I are both working from home. Uh, we were both lucky enough to be able to do that. That's um, good. I make, uh, I used to make chandeliers, handmade chandeliers, and now I make uh, sculptures that light up. Mm. I uh, learned 3D programming. I taught myself uh, Fusion 360. Mm. And now, which is an Autodesk program, and now I am trying to learn um engineering, electrical engineering um, of sorts so that I can make my sculptures functional. So that's the part I'm up to right now. This, um, I used to be a computer programmer, but it was all text, you know, just written writing into a text document. How much of that programming, what is that programming like in this uh, CAD program? It is a CAD program. Um, if you can come up with an image in your mind's eye, you can use this program. It is extremely user-friendly. Um, I signed up to it about two and a half years ago when they had first started out and have watched basically the program grow and evolve as they altered it. Um, because I had joined so early, the program is very inexpensive for me. I'm basically at that beginning rate of whatever they were charging for. Um, mm. and now I think it's it's like probably about $1,000 a year to use the program. Um, wow, so you're grandfathered in, very lucky. Yeah, so I, I'm very lucky for that because I'm actually not making any money off of it as of yet. So um, it, it, it makes it much easier to take the time to learn um, how to create structure. Because there's, there's one half of learning how to use the program itself. And then there's the other half of actually understanding how structures connect to each other. Can you give uh, an example of what your final work looks like? So I made a series of sconce. Um, and then uh, they're very organic kind of structures. And then I made a series of chandeliers. Basically, it looks like a drawing but in metal mm. um, and so it would be a hanging drawing you know mm. in 3d form that lights up okay. wow okay okay um well, i've heard quite a bit about your chandeliers can you briefly fit that into the story so i am um, i needed chandeliers for my home um a few years ago my old home when i lived in long island and I had an image of a chandelier that I wanted. And so I said, well, somebody, if I can see it in my mind's eye, somebody's made the chandelier. So I'll just go online and I'll find it. So I went online and the chandeliers that were similar to what I was thinking up were twenty dollars to $30,000. And there was no way I was going to do that. So then I said, all right, well, I'm, you know, I studied at FIT. I make jewelry. I said, if I can, you know, make structures, I can figure out how to create this image. And so I went online again and I started looking for manufacturers of parts. And one of the difficult things about America is that most of our manufacturing is shut down. Hmm. Uh, I could only find at the time one person in Long Island. Oh, you're not talking coronavirus. You're talking in general. General. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all gone. We don't have manufacturing in America. Like, I only found one person in Long Island who owns a series of CNC machines. One person. 
are what machines? CNC. They're basically drilling machines that drill into metal, which is hmm. what makes everything that we use. Okay. They make pipes. They make, well, right now, the, the, the person, his name is Bruce, the, the person who owns um, this uh, CNC shop, um, he's making medical equipment because there's a huge need for medical equipment. So right now, all of his machines are working to create medical equipment. Um, so so the, our machine shops, essentially, what I'm trying to get to is that all of our manufacturing is gone. All of our machine shops are gone. And I asked him, you know, how come you're the only person that I can find? This is New York, right? Yeah. At the time, you know, Long Island is in New York, and this is New York. And how come you're the only person I can find on the island who has functioning CNC machines. And he said, well, everything's gone to China. And I said, well, do you get work? And he said, of course I get work. I get all the work that people want to make sure is exact in dimensions. And they send it to me and I create it all. And I said, well, who, you know, who, who hires you to do all of this work? And he said, well, one of the biggest people that hire me is Israel. You know, they asked me to create all of these parts for them. And he showed me all the parts that he makes for them for whatever he makes. Israel, the country. The country, yeah. Okay. And, and so it's really sad that, you know, and he's an older gentleman. And it's really sad that, you know, we don't have manufacturing in America. Like, I'm a creator. I'm sure there's a lot of other people that are also creators. And, you know, unless you're using a 3D printer, it's very difficult to get your work created without having to send it to China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's my complaint. And, you know, if we're, we're talking about the Green New Deal... Um, and uh, federal jobs guarantee, all of this has to come back. We need more machine shops. It seems to me that China's going to need to, it, it, like with a Green New Deal, for example, they're not going to have, no country, I would think, is going to have that much excess capacity to be able to export really critical stuff to, you know, outside of their own borders. I would think my, my instinct is that Green New Deal is going to make it such that each country is going to have to do an intense amount of manufacturing within themselves. And so no other country is going to have that much excess to export in that way, which is why this is a problem. And it really starts with education, because to be a machinist, you have to be educated on how to be a machinist. Right. And I was, you know, I was talking to Bruce about it and, and I said, well, you know, how come you don't have a lot of people that are working here? And he said, well, because, you know, the classes that they're taking right now on how to be machinists is not relevant to the actual machines that we use. And I said, well, how is that possible? And he said, it's so difficult for me to hire anybody because I have to train them from scratch. What is that education at all. It, I mean, if it's a machinist education, then what are, what are they educating them on if not for machining? That, I think that's part of the problem being that this, you know, is a field that has basically phased out in America. The, the, even the people that are teaching this field are lacking in education in it. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, you discovered MMT about a year ago, is that right? About a year and a half ago, I think. About a year and a half ago. Okay. So can you describe your thinking before you heard of MMT? So uh, before MMT, I had a, well, I still do, but um, had a very solid uh, practice of meditating, you know, really tried to to kind of stop my thoughts and connect to what is, um, what is just what is at the moment with, within the silence. And, um, I've been doing it since I was 16. So for me, the, the concept of we have the resources, um, there is the ability, uh, nobody has to, 
be suffering for, you know, reasons beyond, right? I mean, cancer and things like that. But, you know, people don't need to be homeless. People don't need to be hungry as long as we have the physical resources. All of those things were very natural to me. The, the theory of, of abundance and having more than enough and um, thinking in that way and being able to bring good fortune to you and uh, bring opportunities to you by the way you think and how your, your thought process creates your reality. All of that was very natural to me. So when I stumbled upon MMT, I said, oh, wow, here is a way for me to express what I already know in a way that is academic, in a way that other people will be able to respect and not say to me, oh, you know, you're living in a dream world. You know, what's abundance? Everything's limited. We have, you know, and so... And to, to me, it was, it, was, it was such a huge opportunity to be able to teach people what I already felt, but with something that others could actually relate to. So this idea that there is enough for everyone, what is, what is how do you define enough? Um, basic necessities like uh, food, uh, shelter, like housing, real housing, uh, a job, resources, in the sense of education, things of that sort. I always felt like there was there was more than enough for everybody to be able to participate and have all of those b- basic necessities met. And then whatever you decide to do with that is up to you. Right. And then then you take the next level. Right. Then you then you move forward from there. But but all of those basics are, are easily provided. Did your definition of enough change once you discovered MMT? Um, I don't know if it really changed. It's just kind of solidified. OK. OK. Uh, I don't know if you want to go into this or not, but I'm wondering if you're, I, I believe it's correct to say that you are an Orthodox Jew, and I'm curious if that plays any part in this. So I'm a modern Orthodox Jew. Um, so, uh, like, I don't wear a wig. Um, uh, but uh, I, I try to, you know, dress modestly, and I'm kosher, and I keep Shabbat, and I keep all the holidays. Um, and I, I, I love it because I love tradition. Um, I love p- passing down tradition and participating it and, in it and having like, you know, a 24-hour period where I completely shut off. I don't need to watch TV. I don't need to be on, you know, on any social media. Um, and it's just time for the family to be together, to have fun and to rest. You know, it's a little bit difficult um, being an Orthodox Jew and, or modern Orthodox Jew and then being progressive at the same time um, because a lot of progressive values are, are how do I say it, they're, they're very, um, they, they have a lot of distrust uh, for for people that are Jewish, <laughs> and um, progressives have a lot of distrust for people that are Jewish. Is that what you just said? Yeah, in the sense of like the the whole like uh, BDS movement and um, uh, the whole uh, I don't know if you saw the whole movement of people saying that it was um, it was because of very powerful. What is this called? The the Jewish organization, the AD, not the ADL. The ADL, uh, APAC. 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 It was because of APAC that Bernie lost. I saw several articles. What? Yeah. Okay, so that's I never heard that. Of that going around, and so, and so, I, I don't. That's ridiculous. It, I mean, I don't even know what that article said, but that that is. So so it's difficult because it's like okay so so 
so my beliefs and 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 my culture has has taught me to to love and care and give and then there's this whole other side that you know doesn't represent that so it's a very it's a very difficult line what other side like the conservative like the APAC side? I mean, like, I, I don't really know much about this at all. I just know that APAC is very conservative. And, you know, they're a lobbying group. They're not a Jewish faith group. You know, they're, they're so uh, I'm not sure what other side is to you. So, okay, so like, um, so. And I don't, and I don't understand BDS beyond that. I believe that that's a two-state solution? I, I, no, I forget. That- B- BDS is basically uh, protesting. Um, it's like the right to protest. So the, the only way that you can protest is to basically say, okay, well, I don't think that any goods should be sold or come out of Israel if there is no peace between Israelis and Palestinians. So that seems like a good thing, at least on its face. So it's a form of protest. And then, and and for a lot of people, they they feel very strongly about it, and okay. I can't really argue with them because it's you know, it's it's a very um, it's a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. As far as uh, as far as um, APAC, like a lot of the members of my shul went to the APAC convention. No, oh, okay. You know, so so when you say it's just it it's just a political right organization, somebody's funding that political organization, right? Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the the members of my shul, after um, Bernie Sanders had said um, some things about Netanyahu, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the members of my shul are very very upset. Um, okay. Okay, so it's not you personally. You, it's it's the people around you causes a conflict. With it you. Causes, that, right, right. It's a, there's no conflict within me personally. Right. Like I know what I stand for. I know what I believe in. Your but, community has conflicts with the progressive community. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. No, that seems. Yeah, and I mean the the I I have memories before I was politically aware or economically aware or any of this stuff of my own family of, of saying that, you know, Israel is wrong or, or the prime minister of Israel is wrong, like much, much, you know, many years ago, my family would just jump down my throat, you know, like just really angry. And it, and it, and I think it does have to do with, you know, this, this false narrative that Palestinians are monsters, which is just an excuse for, you know, I mean, Bernie to me comes across as, and I, I really don't follow foreign relations or Israel too much at all, but just the idea of Israel is welcome to do what it wants to do as long as Palestinians are treated as humans. That's 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 basically what Bernie is about, as I understand it. I listened to his, his speech from 2016, which was really great about that, or maybe it was more recent. But that seems to cause a lot of tension with my relatives. I'm Jewish. I'm not Orthodox by any means, but I'm Jewish, and uh, you know I've had these not even conversations, but just bringing it up, and then it's shut down immediately. On that kind of style of any criticism at all is not just a criticism of a specific action; it's a criticism of you know the entirety of their lives and Judaism and, and Israel as a whole. Right, and I think it's it's kind of like this this hyper protection because um, so many people uh, lost. Uh, their their grandparents' families in the Holocaust, or sure. or um, or so many people have you know been uh, abused within you know their country uh, because of anti-Semitism. So it's this this hyper protection. Yeah, and it, it you know you can't really talk to them in 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 a way with that they'll hear you because they just they just shut off yeah i've yeah i I can feel it i've experienced it um it's 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 a sense it's just an oversensitivity that yeah I, i don't even know how to describe it but okay so so your community your religious community has conflicts with the progressive community so you're sort of in you're sort of on both ed 
in both sides of this. So how do you personally um, experience that or deal with that conflict? Um, you know, kind of like in a very um, naive way, you know, it's like, can't we just get along? Can't they just, you know, share Israel? Can't they, can't they just hear each other? Can't, you know, um, can't, you know, Israelis understand that, you know, Palestinians deserve rights and freedom and can't Palestinians understand that Israelis are, you know, hyper-protective of Israel staying a Jewish state? And can't they just respect each other and treat each other like, siblings you know like brothers and sisters and just share the country Mm -hmm. and you know and and that just does not seem to um work but you you found and you have found a way to survive in both communities which is good and it's basically i i've i've i have some similar feelings not not related to judaism at all but just of being able, the ability of to be able to talk with communities that the people traditionally really don't get along. And, you know, it's just basically, I see myself as similar to you. It's actually even hard to describe. It's just basically, I like them. I like you. I'm not getting in the middle of this. You know, it, it, it's a way of staying neutral in an appropriate way. Right. And I think that it's part of the whole, the whole, the whole idea of, I'm, I'm going to link it to MMT and Bernie Sanders. It's really part of humanity, you know, and having having a heart for each other and having care for each other and going the extra mile for each other and putting each other first and all those values that we, that progressives hold and what keeps us together and keeps us united and keeps us fighting for each other. And if that okay. if that would just kind of you know move forward more, if maybe um, humanity would evolve consciously a little bit more than it has it has right now. Maybe everybody would feel that way, and they you know they wouldn't say, "Well, I have mine, and too bad for you." Okay. Well, then let's. Why don't you describe how did you discover MMT? And what did, how did that change you when you discovered it? And I'm presuming, I'm guessing, as most people around our age or that came to this awareness around this time, that it has something to do with Bernie Sanders. It did for me in 2016, 15. So I had originally um, started going on Twitter, you know, with a group of friends who were always like playing games on their phones. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't really play games like a board. Um, so then I said, well, you know, you're not going to talk to me, so I'm going to find other people to talk to. So, so I joined Twitter and, um, and, uh, I tried to figure out, okay, you know, where, where, who are the people that think like me? Right. And so I started, you know, looking for different, different, different feeds and trying to follow different people. And I guess. What are you talking about now? This is probably like two years ago. Two years ago. And so just by going through my feed, I think I had seen um, uh, some comments about MMT. And then I thought, well, let me figure out what this is. And so then, you know, I, you know, I typed in modern monetary theory on YouTube and I started watching videos um, about what it is and, and how it works. And, and it was like a light bulb that, you know, just popped up on top of my head. And I said, oh, wow, this is exactly, you know, what I think. <laughs> and, and here it is, you know, right in front of me. And, and it's, it's being described by a professor in a classroom. Hmm. So your, your theory of abundance and your meditation came to actual reality. Correct. What was the reasoning that you saw these tweets that had MMT at all? What what subjects were your or concepts or people or whoever that you were following? I was just following different progressives that um, follow Bernie Sanders. Basically. Bernie Sanders. Correct. Okay. Were you in, were you involved or aware of the campaign in 2016? 
Well, how was, did you get into politics? I should say. Let's ask this more generically. So I was I was a I was I was aware of Bernie Sanders in 2016. I voted for him in the primary, and then um, I when he when he lost, I said, "Well, you know, why is this happening?" I couldn't understand. I said, "How is it possible?" That, that somebody who actually is working for the people, and so many people support him, was, was not able to, I didn't understand it. I was not able to get on the ballot. I mean, was not able to win the primary. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I was very upset, I remember. I think when I went to go, to go vote um, for the election, I, you know, I voted for for all the down ballot candidates that I could vote for. And then I, I wrote in Bernie Sanders. Are you Sand- talking, I'm sorry, are you talking primary or general right now you're talking about? Oh, um, general. Okay. I wrote in Bernie Sanders. Um, okay. Think, thinking that like that was actually going to do something, you know, like that, that my, my vote wasn't going to get thrown out. I wasn't aware mm-hmm. that your vote, I didn't know that your vote gets thrown out. Now I know better. But all of my friends and family voted for Hillary, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and now a lot of a lot of my family members are voting for Trump. Mm. Um, wow! And uh, it, it's it's really depressing because here we had this great candidate, and now I don't see. Uh, I wish it wasn't true, right? But I don't I don't see a road. Uh, for Joe Biden, I don't, I don't see it happening. Well, and this was their feeling even during the Democratic primary that they know they're already voting for Trump in the general. They all know that they're voting for Trump. Yes. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you discovered MMT, and then uh, to keep going, keep going there. What specific stuff first hit you that that you know that the specific things that validated your idea of abundance. So the, the fact that the Congress has the power of the purse, so they're able to appropriate money to anything that they deem fit. And so looking at right now, the fact that so many people don't have money for food, don't have money for rent or utilities, and you know a lot of them are on unemployment, a lot of them got their 1200 but then there's a lot of people that are left out and how far does that 1200 even really go um it it kind of infuriates me um but uh the parts of mmt that that really connected to me were the fact that it's really just a matter of will you know if congress has the will to help people they can if they have the, the will to make sure that the population is fully educated, they can. If they have the will to make sure that everybody has housing, they can. And the fact that the will is not there is what really upset me. But since so many more people are learning about this and learning that, that it, it's a matter of policy and that, that idea that you know, um, how are you going to pay for it is not a reality. That, that's very inspiring to me because it means that there's a different kinds of society that can come out of this. There is, there is a society where everybody is able to bring their best forward. Um, they're, you know, from, from a young age, right, that they, they, they can be put into, you know, preschool and they, they can have child care and they can be nourished um, into a place that they can actually be productive members of society. Uh, okay. So, so this will, this will to educate people, this will to provide, what is it, what is their, what is their thinking as you see it that they want, that they really want to, but they're, they're trying so hard, but it's just not working out or corruption, or immorality, or can you, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not actually sure um, why uh, Congress and Senate wants people to stay in poverty, (laughs) because that's what it looks like to me. It looks for me, from from where I'm standing, it looks to me that that they are 
um, negligent, right? Um, uh, and they're allowing people to stay in poverty instead of providing them with the tools that they need to not be in poverty. Uh, why that's happening, uh, why they allow that system to continue, it doesn't make sense to me because it only makes our country weaker. Um, the less people that are, are able to participate, um, the more they are uh, fractured parts of society, the more we have crime. The fact that people go to prison, but, you know, or while they're in prison, or instead of putting them into prison, depending on, you know, what they did, instead of educating them and saying, okay, well, now you don't have to, you know, rob the jewelry store. Now you have a, you know, a foundation and education and, and, you know, your abilities and talents, your natural abilities and talents or interests are. And so here's a path forward. So that neglect, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why it's happening. Um, I just know that it's, it's ingrained in our society that there is, uh, that there is a need almost um, for misery. Yeah, my, my, I mean, I have my strong opinions about it and basically that it's not the, it's not neglect. It's explicit. They explicitly don't want us to be educated. They explicitly want us to be poor. They explicitly want us to be in a situation where their profit is you know they they choose not to even consider our suffering because in some sense they know that our suffering is required for them to stay elite and powerful and profit and so on and maybe maybe the people in congress themselves maybe they are passive maybe they are you know uh how did you i forget Negligent. Neglecting. Yeah. Maybe they are negligent as opposed to explicitly withholding. And I think that at some level, whether it's, you know, the people in Congress are paid because they're negligent, but at some level, who's behind, at least who's behind them, there is definitely some significant explicit, in my opinion, my speculation, explicit withholding and taking not just withholding but actually taking and stealing from but see that doesn't make sense to me i'm going to explain to you why so so if more people right are able to buy products goods and services right then there's more people adding to the pot so to say because there's more money being circulated and so then there's more opportunity for business. There, there's more opportunity for new industries. There's more opportunity to, to add to the economy, the more people that are participating. So it actually doesn't make sense because they would, actually, they would, they would gain more from everybody being able to be educated everybody being able to have childcare, everybody being able to have housing, everybody being able to feel stable. And from that stability, being able to grow and evolve financially, academically, um, in, in new areas, in new creations. And, and, and there would be, you know, more, more CNC factories, <laughs> you know, the, the, there would be more of everything. And so all of the money that they're, they're hoarding, you know, instead of there being uh, billions of it, there would be trillions of it. And because the, there, would be, there would be more people circulating it, there would be more people creating it. So it, it doesn't make sense to me why anybody would purposely stop society from advancing. Okay. I, we, we really need someone more educated to be able to step into this. You know, I, you know, neither of us can know for sure, but I think 
my suspicion, my strong suspicion is that if we do what you say, if we really educate people, really provide them with healthcare, really provide them with you know, opportunities and childcare and education, especially education, that that would cause, number one, us to discover some very inc- uncomfortable truths about those at the top. And that coupled with our having more, you know, not suffering, because we can take our kid to childcare without fear, because we can not have to worry about getting sick for fear of, you know, you know, we can go to the doctor when we're sick because we don't have to worry about going bankrupt. We can go to school and, and further our education because we don't have to worry about being burdened with debt. Um, so if, if we give people a genuine education on top of having a life where we don't have to suffer to survive, those two things together mean that we get to stand up and not just stand up, but stand up in an educated way. So that would not just make them richer. It would make them much more precarious. And actually, if everyone, you know, if all 99% were lifted at the same time, that would really, really empower us. And because we have been abused for so many generations at this point, uh, I don't think they want to be in that position. Because I, 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 death to us, death to the 99% is actual death. Death to the 1%, the elite, is becoming a member of the 99%. That's how I see it. Because they have abused, whether it's explicit or whether, you know, it probably started off as passive, but at some point it became explicit. And then you have been abusing them for so long that you are afraid to stop because you know if you stop then people will you know if you start providing then people will become more educated and more be able to stand up so that's my speculation so i think i think we both have you know strong opinions and reasonably well educated opinions about it i would really love to hear you know someone who you know much more of an education to be able to step in and t- and straighten us out um, in, in saying what you just said, um, they've already been exposed. <laughs> um, there's a huge majority of the population hates them all. Uh, is it 40% of the population doesn't even vote? <laughs> um, right. That which means they're powerless, which means they can't, they can't activate that anger because the people who are aware and their eyes are opened are disenfranchised are persecuted i mean i I was just i don't remember where this came up the the you know bernie bros and and conspiracy theorists and russian russia 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 and and fake news and all of that stuff is always directed to the people who question the elite and and as i see it those terms is implicit permission by those at the top to those who are in the middle to persecute those who are questioning the elite. And so there's this whole system of disenfranchising voters and, you know, getting rid of, you know, I just had an argument on Twitter with some not nice person of there's a, the exit polling company, TD. MS research, I think it's called TDMS research. Mm-hmm. Where they had all, you know, all, yeah, all these exit polls were way out of the margin of error in state after state after state. And so this, like, like 11 to like between, I think it was between uh, five and 14%. More than double the, the margin of error for the exit polling and all in burn in against Bernie, all against Bernie. So that, you know, so this guy said, you know, that company, you know, he, here's a, here's a PolitiFact article that says that that, that company is their research is not worth anything. So completely ignore them. And it's like, okay, fine. I'll grant you that. Let's say we'll, we'll ignore that, you know, fine. It's all bunk. And that, but what about this and this and this and this and this, you know, voting coronavirus, uh, uh, the democratic party certifies Iowa, even though they know they acknowledge that things that counting hasn't been completed and there's still errors and just, just electronic voting is, is more in favor of the establishment candidate than, than not. And example after example, after example, that has nothing to do with TDMS research. And then the conversation ends with, you know, 
investigations should be put for a valid reason. This just seems like a Russian something, something. And it's just like, you know, we have real questions about our society and about our system and about this process, but there's all these pre-built in tools to completely discredit the companies that do that kind of a thing and the people that want that kind of information, which again goes back to Bernie bro and fake news and Russia, 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 and, and all of these things that those, so I'm saying, so you said the woke people, there are so many, there are so many people that already know. And I think that the system already has a built in process to sideline those people and to crush those people. I mean, it's very, you know, it's very cynical and I'm not really, I don't have a really well-rounded thesis about this, but that is my general feeling about it. I, I mean, you're right. You're right. But, you know, think about it. Uh, everybody who's 40 years old and under doesn't watch cable news, right? And we're all, we're all getting our information online. We're all watching, you know, YouTube or listening to podcasts. And so we're, we're, all, we're all getting our information outside of that system that's brainwashing you into, you know, Russia, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's just a matter of time that, the, the, that we're going to be able to be powerful enough to take over. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about um, uh, starting uh, a third party. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are talking about joining the Green Party and, you know, uh, becoming members of it and taking it over. You know, uh, a huge portion, right, of, of the population uh, feels like they're fully not being represented. If we create something where they feel that they are represented, then that's a full game changer. Well, I certainly hope you're right. Um, I'll just be candid and say I'm pretty, pretty cynical about that, but I certainly hope you're right. Um, if I could ask, what else about MMT hit you? Like, I, I guess we met, I don't know, six, six, eight months ago or something. You were like deep into MMT when I already met you. You already had quite a few people on your radar. I'm not even talking about candidates, which we'll get into. So, um, so I, I had the pleasure to um, talk to uh, Pavlina. She is an incredibly intelligent woman. And uh, she has uh, her one of her policies. I don't know if she has more policies than that. Um, is a federal jobs guarantee. So, what an amazing way to be able to kick off the Green New Deal.
Today I talk with second-year MMT activist Ramona Masachi. Ramona is a New Jersey resident, mother of two, and an artist who creates handmade jewelry, chandeliers, and metal sculptures that light up. She designs the latter by programming it into a 3D CAD program. She's also a modern Orthodox Jew and talks about the struggles of personally having strong progressive values, but being part of a community that is highly conservative. In addition to her Judaism, Ramona has practiced meditation since the age of 16. When she discovered MMT in early 2019, she describes it as academic justification for what she had always known to be true, that there is abundance in the world, and it has always been possible to provide all with what is needed to prevent suffering. We end with a good faith debate about the current state of our society, electoral process, and the elite behind it all. I play the role of the dark cynic, and she a self-described extreme optimist. This is part one of a two-part conversation. In part two, Ramona and I talk about how we worked together for several months to coordinate and schedule private introductions to MMT for dozens of federal candidates with PhD economists. Note that this two-part conversation is not a discussion of MMT concepts, but rather how MMT has affected our lives and political views.